0: Good morning everyone. Uh, I have uh, one important announcement. Um, Today is the ninth birthday of Abigail Jillian Droge. Um, And so um, if you didn't bring a gift, that's okay. Uh, Abigail is accepting gifts all the way till tax day. So uh, make sure to pray, pray about it, think about it. Sacrifice a lamb, see what happens. But um, Abigail asked me uh, last night before your speech, can you make that announcement? So there's there's that announcement. So um, it's whose birthday? Lance's birthday. Come on, happy birthday, Lance. He's he's nine. In in spirit. I love it. I love it. Um, well I, I know that it's been referenced from up front here before, but um, I'm a huge fan of the Enneagram, which is a personality typing system, and uh, I can already see the guys in my triad rolling their eyes saying, oh, here he goes again on the Enneagram. But I found it profoundly helpful for uh, my personal life, for marriage, for ministry. Uh, I I am an Enneagram four. Uh, Enneagram fours are called the romantics. Uh, They're highly emotive and sensitive people. Uh, When when fours are not in their healthiest place, uh, they don't have emotions. They are their emotions. Uh, fours are known as the most complex number on the Enneagram. So please keep my wife in your prayers. Um, And while it's true that people who self-identify with a particular Enneagram number, like not all of those people are exactly the same. And it's the same thing with fours. The fours are not a monolith. But I would say that um, one thing that's a common trait with Enneagram fours is that they uh, tend to enjoy communicating through analogies and stories, particularly when they're communicating about how they're feeling. And I love a good story and analogy uh, to help illustrate things that are a bit difficult to maybe put in a particular category and explain. Oftentimes when somebody asks me a question like what I think about something or to define something, I'll say, well think about it like this, or think about it this way, or let me tell you a story. Um, and I think that is something that Jesus often did. He would create stories and pictures and analogies to illustrate the reality of who God is, who Jesus is, and what his kingdom was all about. Now, obviously, I'm not saying I am like Jesus. Uh, I'm just saying that Jesus was probably an Enneagram before. That's all I'm saying. Um, We are in our ninth week in our Life of Christ series through um, the book of Matthew, and we're going to be looking at um, a famous parable that Jesus told uh, in Matthew 13, verses 1 through 23. So if you have a Bible text um, nearby, turn to Matthew 13, uh, verses 1 through 23. I won't read all the verses. We're going to read the first part, 1 through 9, and then skip down to 18 through 23. But here's the word of the Lord. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. Such great crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat there, while the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, Listen, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell on the path, and the birds came and ate them up. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and they sprang up quickly. Since they had, uh, they, they sprang up quickly, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among the thorns, and thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil, and brought forth grain. Some a hundredfold, some 60, some 30. Let anyone with ears listen. And then his the disciples go on to say, to ask him, you know, that's a great story, Jesus, but what does that mean? <clears throat> so he goes on to explain it in verse 18. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what is sown in the heart. This is what was sown on the path. As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet such a person has no root, but endures only for a while, and when trouble or persecution arises on account of the word, that person immediately falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the lure of wealth choke the word, and it yields nothing." But as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. This is the word of the Lord. So Jesus was a a master storyteller, a creator of analogies. He never used the same analogy twice. There was this kind of incessant creativity coming out of him to create these stories and analogies to illustrate who God is, who he was, and what the kingdom of God was all about. And one of the things that we have to understand is that the Jewish mind viewed what we would call truth in a bit different way than we tend to view it. Jesus was a Jewish man from the Middle East, and Jews tended to view truth and reality in in a narrative or story form. Whereas in our modern world, we tend to see truth as something that can only be understood systematically, logically, or scientifically. So, if someone were to stop you on the street and say, would you explain to me what the kingdom of God is all about? I'm sure that happens to you all the time. We might give a nice, well-thought-out theological answer. Perhaps we might quote some scripture. And while, and while Jesus did talk like this sometimes, more often than not, he told a story. Now, this is not to say that one way is right and one way is wrong. It's more to make us aware of the different way our modern mind works versus a first century Jewish mind. But, you know, I do wonder if we've missed something or lost something very powerful by defaulting to our modern way of understanding truth versus learning to become better storytellers as Jesus was himself a storyteller. Because stories are powerful, And they can capture us at our very core. And I would argue they do so more than a systematic exposition that merely requires our intellectual assent. So Jesus tells this parable of the sower and he ends this telling of the story by saying, if you have ears, listen. That's a pretty broad category, right? If you have ears, listen. So he's saying that this is significant. This is an important thing that we can't miss. And let's not forget who's present at the telling of this story. It's not just the disciples, but it's the crowd as well. So this is a story not just meant for the 12 disciples or for his inner circle of Peter, James, and John. It is meant for anyone who has ears, for the crowd, for the disciples, and for you and me today in 2022. Studying commentaries on this passage, one will find that there are four typical or classic interpretations of this famous parable. The first is that this is a parable of victory, that the seeds being sown represent the many prophets, messengers, and leaders from Israel's past that were sent by God, but God's message through these people continue to fall on deaf ears or bad soil. And yet, despite what has happened with past messengers, God's plan will continue. It is continuing. And in Jesus, his life, his death, and resurrection, it will find good soil and bear fruit 30, 60, and 100-fold. The second interpretation is that this is a parable of patience. Despite the fact that the seeds continue to fall on bad soil and do not grow as they should— The sower has patience and trust that soon the seed will find the good soil and grow into what they were meant to be. This is also a message for the disciples who are listening and anyone who would come to follow Jesus. That the good news of the kingdom that they will one day share with others will sometimes fall on deaf ears. But they must have patience. And this should not keep them from continuing to cast seed of the kingdom because the good soil will eventually come. The third interpretation is that this is a parable of responsibility. When Jesus describes the meaning of the parable, he discusses the differences with each of the four uh, soils in the story and how each soil is representative of a certain type of person or people and their response to the message of the kingdom. The proponents of this interpretation would say that that this is Jesus' way of saying that we are responsible for the care and upkeep of our own soil. The seed is cast on the soil of our lives, and we must take good care of our heart, soul, mind, and body. Our whole person must be cared for so that we might be ready and prepared for the seed to take root in us. The fourth interpretation is that this is a parable of power. When the seed eventually finds the good soil, the story tells us that the growth from the seed is exponential. It's incredible the extent to which it begins with the smallest seeds and becomes this massive fruit. This would suggest that this is no ordinary seed. There is a significant amount of power in the seed, and this is the central point of the story, that the power is in the message of the kingdom, which is now embodied in Jesus. Yet it will be a power in a very unexpected way. Power itself is going to be flipped on its head and redefined in this kingdom. So the question you might be asking yourself right now is, okay, that's all well and good, but which one's the right interpretation? Tell me how I'm supposed to interpret this so we can move on with life. Well, I'm going to tell you right now. Are you ready? Buckle up. The answer is all of them. And this is the beauty of parables. There are multiple layers and angles and dynamics at play that all work together to create a beautiful and rich portrait of who Jesus is, what God is like, and what the kingdom of God is all about. The good news of Jesus and his kingdom is too massive and beautiful that that we don't have the proper language for it. Our language will always fall short. And, and I don't know about you, but it, it, isn't that good news? Yes, it is beautiful that we can grasp the reality of this good news with with our language, but not but not fully. And this is true in life itself. You know, when I think about falling in love with Emily or the moment when Kayla first learned how to ride her bike or nine years ago when Abigail was born, I have language to describe those moments. But all of that language falls short to express the fullness of those significant moments in life. So it is with the kingdom of God and how we describe it. But this is the beauty of parables. So if you are one who is in need of victory this morning, this story is for you. If you are one who is in need of patience, this story is for you. If you are one who is in need of harnessing your own responsibility for the care of your soul, this is for you. If you are one who is in need of power, a power outside of yourself to control the things that are beyond your control, this story is for you. And the parable describes four different types of soil. There's the path, the rocky soil, the thorns, and then the good soil. The path is the one who hears the word and does not understand it, so it gets snatched away. The rocky soil is the one who heard the word, immediately receives it with joy, but has no root. So when trouble comes, that person quickly moves away. The thorn is the seed that gets choked out by the lure of wealth and possessions. And the good soil is the one who hears it and understands it and it bears fruit. And not just any fruit, but fruit of exponential growth. Now, I don't think that these these four soils are meant to be understood in a linear fashion where you start with soil number one and then eventually you graduate to soil number four. I think that's simply an illustration that demonstrates the basic reality that all of these types of soils exist. And furthermore, we, like the nation of Israel, can fluctuate and oscillate between one one type of soil to the next. So I don't think it's a matter of us only being one type of soil, and one soil is good and the other three are bad. What if the point of describing each soil is not to bring guilt because we are not the good soil, but rather just to provide an awareness that other soils exist, so that we might move towards tending the soil of our own lives, so that they might move towards the good soil. And Jesus said, those who have ears, listen. We all have ears. So what do we need to hear this morning? What does Misty O'Day Church in 2022 need to hear from this parable? Well, to some extent, that question is one that um, I can't answer. Only you can because we all arrive at this text and indeed to this worship gathering this morning with different eyes, different experiences, and our hearts in different conditions. But I would like to offer three things for us from this passage. The first is a statement, and the other two are questions. Here's the statement. The good news is that the seed will eventually find the good soil. This story reminds us that Yahweh, the God of Israel, the good creator God, did not give up on his creation. As the sower continued to cast the seed, so too the triune God continued to pursue God's creation, culminating in the incarnation, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus that has burst forth 30, 60, and 100-fold. Friends, Jesus has not given up on this world. He has not given up on us. And he has not given up on you, nor will he ever. The Lord shall not abandon his people. The seed will find the good soil Now I know that some of us in this room this morning hear that and say, "I can't believe that right now." And I want to say on the behalf of our church that we will believe for you this morning, because I've been in that place of hearing something like this and saying, "That sounds great, but I, I can't believe that right now." that maybe you come here this morning with sadness and hurt, and pain, and fear. And you hear that, and you say, that sounds good, but I I just can't believe that right now. We will believe for you. Because when I've been in those places, I know there have been people in this room who believed for me. And it's changed everything. The seed will eventually find the good soil. Two questions for us. The first question Are you casting seed? If you are a follower of Jesus, someone who has given your life's allegiance to Jesus, then part of what it means to follow Jesus is that you would be one who is casting the seed of the kingdom. At one point, or perhaps several moments along the journey, you encountered the good news of Jesus. And as a result of that, your life has never been the same. Someone sowed into your life. Someone shared the good news with you. Someone modeled Jesus and his kingdom in your life. And that seed took root in the soil of your life and burst forth 30, 60, and 100 fold. And you've never been the same. Someone sowed seed into your life. A Jesus follower is also called to be a Jesus sower. And cast seed. Followers of Jesus are also called to be sowers for Jesus. That we might invest and love people that God has placed in our life and sow seeds into the life of people for the sake of the kingdom. Now, the way that I sow seed is going to be different than the way that you sow seed. You don't need to be a tall, awkward white dude with a bright yellow shirt. I know you probably need sunglasses with this shirt. It's not about a matter of how, but a matter of who. We will all cast seed differently. It's not a matter of how you do it, but who are you doing it with? Are you casting seed to the people in your life? Just as someone sowed into your life, are you sowing the seed of the kingdom into those around you? For a moment, I'd love you to th- for, for you to think of, who is one person that comes to your mind when I say that? Maybe there's a person that God has placed in your life. And maybe it's the person that you're trying to forget and ignore, that God put, it, put, put that person in your mind. What if that would be the person that you might sow seeds of the kingdom into? Second question. What is the condition of your hearts? Is it good soil? If someone were to take an inventory of, of your soil, what would that person find? You know, when some, someone purchases land to build on, one of the first things they do is they do a soil test. Is this good soil to build on? So how is the soil of your life this morning? Is it the good soil? Or is it filled with things that might inhibit growth from a seed that is sown into your life? Maybe in your soil there's some hurt and pain, sadness, perhaps bitterness or fear. I I know lately for me, if I'm honest, I've I've felt really angry. I, I have some anger in my heart. And as a result of that anger in the soil of my heart, I I think I have missed out on significant opportunities for growth. That that over the past few weeks, as I've kind of wrestled with this anger, I think I've probably missed opportunities that people have tried to sow into my life. But because of the anger in the soil of my heart, I've missed that. Whatever status your soil might be, What is one thing that you can do between now and tomorrow morning to take one step closer in the direction of good soil? Friends, the good news is that no matter the condition of your soil, the good farmer will continue to cast seed into your life. The seed may come directly from the Lord in a quiet moment alone, It may come through someone in your triad, a friend, your spouse, or perhaps even right now, in this moment, the Lord is sowing seed into the soil of your life. Now, I I am not a farmer. Um, I mean, I did own a chia pet once. I don't want to brag. And if you know what a chia pet is, that means that you really enjoyed the Super Bowl halftime show last week. So, go, shorty. Sorry. Sorry. I am not a farmer, but my guess would be that if you are sowing seeds, you probably have a limited amount of seed. I'm sure that every farmer has a line item in their annual budget for the cost of seed. And as a result of that, they have to limit how, when, and where they sow their seeds, right? But not for the sower in this story, not for the good farmer. A conscientious farmer might read the story and think, what is this guy doing? Doesn't he know that he's wasting good seed on this bad soil? But casting more seed is not seen as wasteful or useless. This is yet again another picture of the generous love of the Father. The love of God is too generous to start counting the number of seeds that he sows. The prologue to the Gospel of John says, We have all received from his fullness grace upon grace, seeds upon seeds being sown, no matter where they fall, because the heart of the good farmer is so generous, and he will never give up on his creation. As the father continued to run and run until he finally embraced his lost son, so too the good farmer will continue to cast and cast the seed until it will land on the good soil. The good farmer loves you too much to stop sowing seeds into your life. This is the generous, faithful love of our Messiah. His love is not dependent upon the condition of our own soils. And yet, one cannot experience that kind of love and not stop to examine the condition of one's soil and ask, How might the soil of my own life be transformed into the good soil? Friends, the good farmer, the sower, he is casting seed. He will always be casting seed into his creation and into your life. And there is power in this seed. More power than we could ever imagine. The good good farmer will be victorious. He has already been victorious in the death and resurrection of Jesus and he will continue to be victorious over sin and death as he continues to recreate this world that he will never give up on this world and all of us who inhabit it. So because these things are true, may we have great patience and trust the faithfulness and the work of the good sower. But may we also take responsibility for the care and upkeep of the soil of our lives so that when seed is sown in our lives, it might fall on the good soil and produce a fruit 30, 60, and 100-fold. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, you are the good farmer. You are the sower who is filled with such a generous love to continue to sow seeds into your creation, into all of us, despite the condition of our soil, despite the condition of our hearts. And Father, I give... um, we submit in this moment the condition of our hearts to you. Some of us are filled with joy. Some of us are filled with sadness. Some of us are filled with fear, anger, bitterness. And we offer the soil of our lives to you, Lord. And we ask that you would till the soil of our hearts. That we might be ready and prepared for the seed of the kingdom. We want to experience the 30, 60, 100-fold growth. Thank you, Jesus, for the people who have sown seeds into our life. And may we be generous with those you've placed in our life as you've been generous with us by continuing to cast seed into our life. May we be people who cast the seed of the kingdom generously, generously, into the people that you have placed in our lives. Thank you for the generous love of this Messiah who has not given up on this good good world that you created. We are so grateful that you will never give up on us. And we ask that you would have your way with the soil of our lives. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.
1: Each week here at Missio Day, we celebrate taking the Lord's um, Supper together. And as Danny and Sean are handing out the individual cups, I will read an invitation for all of us, followed by a short time of silence. Um, And then I will guide us in taking the elements together. The table of bread is now prepared and ready. This is a table of company with Jesus and all who love him. It is a table of sharing with the poor of the world with whom Jesus identified himself. It is a table of communion with the earth in which Christ became incarnate. So come to this table, you who have much faith and you who would like to have more, you who have been here often and you who have not been for a long time, and you who have tried to follow Jesus. And you who have failed, come to the table. It is Jesus who invites us to meet him here. Now let's take a minute or two of silence. I invite you to sit at the table with Jesus and be reminded of his deep, deep love for us. I invite you now to open up the elements of the cup if you haven't done so already. The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took a loaf of bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, saying, This is my body that is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat together. In the same way, he took the cup also, after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's drink together. Let's pray. Loving God, through your goodness, we have been given this bread and juice to remember your love and sacrifice. May we know your presence in the sharing so that we may know your touch and presence in all things. We celebrate the life that Jesus has shared among his community through the centuries and shares with us now. Made one in Christ and one with each other. We offer these gifts, and with them ourselves, a single living act of praise. Amen.